G'day, church. How are you? <laughs> Wake some people up. Hey, uh, my name's Damo. If you don't know me, uh, Damo Bailey. I've been coming to this church now for ooh, four and a half, five years, something like that. Amazing. Um, I um, yeah, it's uh, it's really good to be up here to be able to share God's word with you today. <clears throat> so um, I'm just going to get straight into it. I got a lot to say. I got so much to say. I've timed it out 28 minutes. And realistically, it's probably going to be closer to about 30, 33. But I'm sure you'll be all with me um, because I feel that what I've got to say uh, to you today is actually really important. God's laid some of this stuff on my heart and we've been talking amongst it in the leadership for a while uh, as well. So uh, if you're visiting with us today, warm welcome to you. Uh, You've caught a smack in the middle of our vision casting series for the year. Uh, something that Craig, the pastor, the board of the church and I have been working on, uh, mulling over for a number of months now. The vision casting casting series has been entitled, We Need to Talk. Uh, church, we need to talk. And so uh, if you are visiting with us, I hope that you'll be able to find something and take it away with you back to your home church. If you're new to the Christian faith, you've stumbled upon this message here or online because we'll be putting it up later. Uh, you know, it's so good to have you with us. Welcome to our church today. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about ecclesiology, the study of how we do church. Um, And as we begin, I just want to acknowledge a great podcast series that I've been listening to uh, by the Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, uh, USA. And I want to thank them for their previous work in building this framework for a missional church uh, outline and a cultural understanding outline. And if you want a great podcast to listen to, uh, feel free to hit me up later about that. Okay, so in particular today, we're talking about the gospel, okay, the gospel, the good news that each church would hope to share. Did you know that Jesus, in his ministry life, he shared gospel, he had good news to share, and his catch cry in the book of Matthew and Mark uh, was that the kingdom of heaven is near. What great news, what great news, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, when we say that we have good news for the town of Margaret River, what are we actually saying? What are we actually saying when we say uh, that we have a gospel for them? And so as we look at this idea of gospel or good news today, it'll be feeding into the second part of our vision statement. I decided to stick these up because we don't have it anywhere else on the inside of our building. It's just on the inside as you come through the door, but it's not actually uh, anywhere in here. So I heard somebody say recently, if if you need something done, then it's worth doing poorly. If something needs doing, then it's worth doing poorly. And so I've put some sheets of paper up underneath our uh, projector there. But there is our vision statement at the moment. No God, share Christ, care for people. All right, so uh, it feeds into the second part of that, which is share Christ. And it also looks at ensuring that our core values, which are number one, number three, and number six are being met. If you don't know what they are, they're on the back of our uh, directory, community directory, and they're also up on the wall uh, over on the notice board over there. So feel free to have a look at that. So with that in mind, uh, today I also want to bring the idea of culture into the discussion of how we do church, and in particular how that, um, how that culture that we're a part of here and how well, the culture that we're a part of out in our community impacts what our gospel message will be to our community. Okay? So with that in mind, uh, let me tell you a couple of stories and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, there was a Salvadorian archbishop named Oscar Romero, and he said these words shortly before his assassination. He said, I'm going to speak to you simply as a pastor, one who, together with his people, 
has been learning the beautiful but harsh truth that the Christian faith does not cut us off from the world, but immerses us in it. The church is not a fortress set apart from the city. The church follows Jesus who lived, worked, struggled and died in the midst of a city in the metropolis. George Peters, in his book, A Biblical Theology of Missions, he writes, if man is to be reached, he must be reached within his own culture. If man is to be reached, he must be reached within his own culture. And so with these thoughts as a, above as an introduction this morning, here comes the scary line that is the title of our series, We Need to Talk. And as always, as there's a scary topic, it, you know, it comes up whenever you say something scary. Do you like the band-aid ripped off fast? Do you like to just so slowly pull it? Um, I'm just going to say it. Um, it's a good question for us to be asking as we continue to look at our vision statement, as we continue to do church in this way. And this is the question. Is our church culture, the internal one, helping or hindering the gospel, the good news that we would hope to, sh to share with Margaret River? Let me say that again. Is our own individual Margaret River Church's culture, is it helping or is it hindering as we want to share the gospel with the people of Margaret River and our community here? Okay, so there's three ways that we can unpack this. Okay, uh, first, what do I mean by church? Uh, and then what do I mean by culture? And then what do I mean by gospel and the gospel of Margaret River Baptist Church? If you're following along, I've got a little note thing for those that like to take notes. Um, by the end of what we've got up on the screen there, you'll be able to fill in all the uh, little blank lines. So feel free to grab one of those from out the front and a pencil if you want to keep up with me. Let's have a look at the church first, okay? Um, this is not one of the things that you need to fill in, but just to keep you on your toes. Okay, so let's look at the church. The New Testament uses the word ecclesia, uh, the Greek word ecclesia to, uh, to convey the concept of church. And of the 115 times that ecclesia is mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament, some 85 might be assigned to the lo local congregation. The word itself is a compound word taken from kaleo, which means to call, and ek, which means out of, and the compound verb therefore means to call out from, and the noun should mean the called out ones. So as a church, we are the called out ones. However, the usage in the New Testament is more than just the meaning of the called out ones. Uh, it's, it's got more the meaning of the called onto ones, the called forward ones. Notably, the word ecclesia, it always has a positive implication in the Bible. Okay, it is uh, referring to the assembly of people who are related to God and obeyed God. We are called on to God. We are called forward to God rather than the negative conception of those that are called away from the world. Okay, so the fundamental and prevailing idea of Ecclesia in the Bible is that of a local body which is organized on principles of brotherhood for the purposes of proclamation, fellowship, worship, and service. Okay, those are the four little... Uh, um, leaded things in the boxes, you can fill those in. Okay, what are we about? We're about proclamation, fellowship, worship, and service. So Jesus, when he used the word church, ecclesia, he used it in a special way. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he shared with his disciples the idea of church in its most ideal sense, often spoken about as the church universal, the big C church. Have you heard of big C church? Big C Church, here in Margaret River, we're Little C Church. We're a, a small gathering of locals. But when Jesus used the word, he's using the word in terms of the Big C Universal Church, of which all of Christ's believers are a part of. And that's how I want to think of our church here. 
in Margaret River, I want to think of it as a positively focused, a community-minded people who conduct affairs on principles of equality and brotherhood and sisterhood, who are uniquely related to God and called together for a specific purpose. This is what that means. This is what that means to be a, a, a people or a big C universal church. All right. Uh, so what's the purpose, though? What's the purpose of being a part of a church? God's purpose uh, in creating this church, in creating this big C church, is the idea of the Missio Dei, the mission of God, the, the mission that God has sent Jesus as his son and sends him forth. And so we, as part of the church, are also needing to be sent on this mission of God as he sends us out. Okay, so... When we bring that for us back to here, if we're going to join in with that Missio Day, what does that mean for us? It means to join in with the proclamation, the fellowship, the worship, and the service uh, as we're a part of this church. And so I want us to hold these four ideas uh, in our mind as we look at what it is to be a church. Um, and so now we've looked at what a church is or what I believe a church to be. I want us to look at culture. Okay, so for all churches from all of time, there has been a culture that that church has been a part of, whether it be modern Australian culture, pre-war British culture, early New Testament Palestinian culture. They have all managed to do the jobs above, you know, to proclaim, to worship, to fellowship, to serve. In fact, the church has had to find a way to interact with that surrounding culture, both becoming a part of it and still being separate from it, based on being called an up and out of church, the ecclesia. They have to become a bridge from the culture that they're in to God. And so today I want to suggest to you that each church throughout the years, in its own way, has found a way to tailor the gospel, the good news, to its culture. Let me say that again. That each church in its own way has found a way to tailor its gospel, or the gospel, the good news, to its surrounding culture. And as such, it's developed a contemporary gospel culture. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Okay, so the proof that this has happened is actually right in front of you that we've come generation to generation, somehow the gospel has been passed on. And I know that this might, some, uh, this might actually shock some of us from the evangelical tradition. Okay, but when I say gospel, I'm not actually referring to the New Testament Bible. I'm not actually referring to the first four books of the Bible because Jesus' gospel, it wasn't written yet if we were thinking about the New Testament Bible. It wasn't written yet if we're thinking about the first four books of the Bible. What was the gospel that Jesus actually wrote? What was the gospel that Jesus presented to his community? And if we look again at Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus had a 12-word gospel. Okay, let me count that out. Uh, the time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe the good news. Twelve words, give or take. Keywords. All right. Jesus had a twelve-word gospel that needed to be preached to his gospel. What exactly was the good news that Jesus offered those that he interacted with in that culture at that time? His culture, one of overtly religious piety, one without a true understanding of the graciousness of God, they desperately needed to hear this good news. The God 
that others were saying was so far from them, that it's disconnected from them, is actually near. No, you need to go to temple. You need to put pennies in the coffer. No, you need to um, whatever. You need to obey the Torah. You need to obey the Levitical laws to be able to get to God. No, actually, the gospel that Jesus said is, hey, you don't need to do those things. The kingdom of God is actually near to you. It has been broken down, ripped the curtain, all of that. But it hasn't come yet. But the kingdom of God has drawn near. Okay, so there is a gospel that Jesus has tailored to his community to make them go, I need to listen to this. This is good news. Does that make sense so far? Good, I got a, I got a bit of murmuring there. That was good. Okay, that's good feedback. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Okay, so this gospel is exactly what they needed to hear. Okay, so if that was the gospel for then, what would we say that the gospel would be for our community now in our Western post-Christendom world of Margaret River? What is our Margaret River Baptist Church culture that we would present to our culture? How do we articulate it to somebody in 12 words? If we had 12 words, we've got 12 words, we're going to go out to our community, to our neighbours, to our friends, to wherever, and we've only got 12 words to say everything that we want to say to them. What would you say? You get it, right? You get it. Okay, good. You're with me. Okay. <clears throat> so, depending on who you grew up with or what time you came to faith, that 12-word gospel that you would proclaim to people would actually appear very differently to each one of us in the room. Okay, so I'd even go so far as to say that the church you came to know Christ through has imprinted on you a culture of what you believe the gospel to be and then how that gospel should be passed on. And from there, you might even judge yourself on whether or not you've, you've effectively shared the gospel whenever you're talking to somebody and, oh, no, I didn't get in the, the five steps to life or I didn't get in the, the entire Genesis, you know, whatever. Okay, and you might judge yourself on that. And I want us to be free from that. Would you like to be free from that today? Some of the gospel culture that we might try to impart to our friends and community might actually be harming the cause of Christ as we try and share it for them. Because as it was for us, when we encountered it, our culture at that time was necessary and it, and it made an impact because it was perfectly tailored for us at that time. Now, God's Word in the Bible is for all time, and it's, it's continuing on sharper than any double-edged sword can pass through bone and marrow. You know the verse I'm referring to. But somehow there's something about being able to acknowledge what is it in our culture that actually needs to be identified um, for us to be able to make people go, actually, that's it, I get it. Okay, so let's keep going. I want us to acknowledge our gifts. I want to acknowledge our past. I want to look to the future in presenting a gospel to Margaret River Baptist or to the Baptist Church here, but also to our community that's unique and perfectly qualified for our community and our time and our surrounding culture, just as D Jesus did in his culture of his time. Okay, so to go deeper on this, I want to break the idea of gospel cultures into denominational and theological structures, okay? If we zoomed out and look at these denominational structures that we've come from, we'll see that each of them has developed over the years a distinct culture, a distinct way of acknowledging Christ and then sharing that with his community as, or sharing that with their community as they've gone out and do that. 
And my intention in doing this is to acknowledge the own culture that I've come from because you've got to know that I've come from a culture. You already know that I'm different from some of you and just generationally, okay? But then also there's, um, there's just areas that uh, our culture has impacted us. It impacts me, it impacts you, the ones that we've come from. And so more so I want to discover that the denominations and the theological ideas and the cultures that we as individuals have come from, how that actually impacts us as a church what does it mean that some of us might have come from a Reformed tradition or culture? What does it mean that some of us might come from a Pentecostal traditional culture? And what does that mean as we try and do church here, our ecclesiology here in Margaret River? And then what does that mean as we want to present that unified to our outer community and our outer culture that we're a part of? Okay, so as I speak through these traditions, though it's not my intention, I might misrepresent them, and I want to apologise for that uh, as I do it. Um, but I mention each of these because I've seen elements of them at work in our church already. And I want us to be able to use um, what we see in this vast and diverse group. And I want us to be able to celebrate that. Okay. So as I understand it, there's, my, there's probably about five main Protestant arms that we want to have to come from. And each of these will have had its own focus and its own gospel from its time that it first created and it continued to move on from there. And that is the Reformed Church tradition the high church tradition, the Pentecostal or the Providence tradition, the social justice tradition, and the evangelical tradition. Okay, I just want to touch on each of those five, okay? Reformed, high church, Pentecostal, social justice, evangelical. Okay, depending on how your Christian journey has unfolded, you've probably actually interacted with one or more of these uh, cultures in your own faith journey. You could say that you have a definite culture that you've come out of and you might say I've interacted with this as a wing culture this is something that I've taken a little bit on board with me and I like that uh, and it works okay at the end of going through each of these I want to see a show of hands I want to see where you've come from I want for our church to be able to see how diverse we are but then also celebrate that diversity okay so let's start with reform tradition I'm probably going to get um, screamed at I hope you don't hurt me as I, as I misrepresent this terribly. But I'm just going to give you what I know uh, based off of some quick research, okay? So most Reformed churches have a very strong sense of community and coming together around the biblical texts. They place a high value on the inerrant word of God. They come from a position of theological Calvinism, which is summed up in this saying, which I've made for, you know, as I've squeezed it all together, okay? Reformed churches, that as a whole, we are depraved humans that once we come in contact with the mercy of Christ, we'll either be fully saved and forever in the church, or if we're unaffected, we'll be forever numb to grace, Christ's grace and teachings. Let me say that again, okay? That we are depraved as humans. Once we come in contact with the mercy of Christ, we'll either be fully saved and forever in the church, or if we're unaffected, we'll be forever numb, and numb to Christ's grace and teachings. And so that means then that this gospel... Uh, will not lend itself easily to attractional models of gospel sharing. In fact, Calvin viewed, if we're thinking about attractional models of how we do church, Calvin, the man who uh, it was named after Calvinism and uh, the Reformed Church basically follows, he viewed instruments, candles, statues, censures as unnecessarily uh, idolatry and they're in violation of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Those in a hardline Reformed Church will tend towards saying that it's God's work to share the gospel. If I'm unsuccessful in bringing people into this community as I proclaim Christ, it's because God doesn't want them there. 
which was actually originally taught by uh, St. Augustine, and it's made its way into the Westminster Confession of Faith in Article 3 and Point 7. So it's there. And at its worst, the Reformed Gospel is, if you're in, come and enjoy the good news with us, and if you're not, I'm sorry, that's a shame. Now, that's a really, this is really harsh, and it probably, you know, I'm getting some shaken heads, and I understand that, and so I'm, I apologize. But that's where it can lead if you follow a straight path. Now, what does that gospel message sound like? What, is that, what would they say that that was? Well, come and be a special part of the elect. You can be a part of this. To that people where God was well known and the missionary um, movements were well in effect, the expansion of the Western Kingdom, everybody knew about God because that was the state culture. Hey, come and be part of this. It's great. That was the gospel that they might have uh, lent on. If I was going to squeeze it down to five words, come and be a part of this. Come and be specially chosen by God. Come and be part of the elect. Okay, let's move on. High church tradition. Okay, I might massacre this one too, but we'll see what happens. Okay, those from the high church tradition utilize beliefs and practices of Christian church practice and a repetitive liturgy or set of words they say when they gather. Okay, the high church tradition emphasizes formality, a resistance to modernization. Its hallmarks are elaborate music, altarpieces, uh, clergy who wear fancy robes, and emphasis on the sacraments, and finally the use of the Book of Common Prayer. What is the gospel for those that come from this tradition, this high church tradition? What is those that come from this uh, tradition would be a community-minded culture. They would emphasize the necessities of taking the sacraments together. They would uh, use daily liturgies to feel the ministry of the Godhead. And this would be their gospel that I perceive. That these are the things that people need to embrace to be saved. Come and take bread and wine with us. Come and say these things together with us. Acknowledge God in this way to be free of modern distractions that separate you from God. Uh, Come and be free of distraction, I think would be their gospel. Uh, and as an example of that, I've got something that I come across this morning in my readings. Tatian, the Assyrian, a second-generation theologian, wrote, Die to the world by renouncing the madness of its stir and bustle. God created nothing evil. It is we who brought forth wickedness. Those who brought it about can also do away with it again. And so for the high church tradition, it would be, what would its gospel be? The gospel would be, come be free of distraction. Come be free of distraction. Let's keep moving. The Pentecostal tradition. Those from a Pentecostal tradition would be the opposite side of the spectrum from the Reformed traditions. The emphasis on this side of the church is that instead of Christ's grace being irresistible, but it would be that the church's role is to be an attractional place until such a time as the person feels ready to give their life to Jesus to give their life to Jesus. The individual's acceptance of the gospel, the individual's acceptance of the gospel is a definitive point in time for this culture. Okay, Pentecostalism uh, also adheres to the inerrancy of the Bible and the necessity of being born again, but is distinguished by the belief in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that enables a Christian to live a spirit-filled and empowered life. For the, person, for the person coming from the Pentecostal tradition, the gospel would include a direct conversion moment and then a confirmation of that decision with that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this tradition would emphasize the love of God for the person, God's being for you, God wanting to bless you. If only you were 
accept the grace that was offered to you. And in this tradition's gospel, emphasis is placed on the direct personal experience of God. Believe the good news. God wants a very personal relationship with you. Okay, what would that gospel be from that tradition? What would that gospel be from that culture to the surrounds? The gospel would be God loves you and has given you special access and special, um, special gifts. Let's keep moving. Liberation theology. Social justice traditions. Um, yeah, these are seen across multiple wings of our Protestant church. But I want to give it its own space as an increasingly vocal movement in the church. The social justice movement combines the ideas of liberation theology with practical contexts and emphasizes the liberation of the oppressed. It's all about liberating those that are oppressed and poor. It connects socioeconomic analysis with social concern for the poor. Time magazine has noted that younger evangelicals increasingly engage uh, with social justice. And John Stott, renowned theologian, traced the call for social justice back to the cross. He wrote, The cross is the revelation of God's justice as well as of his love. And that is why the community of the cross should concern itself with the social justice as well as with loving philanthropy. So for those that have come from churches which emphasize this tradition, the gospel would include an element of revitalization and lift uh, for those that are being saved. And so that is the gospel of this tradition. The gospel is, you can break free of your oppressor, in my mind. Um, you can tell me if you think other things, that's good. Um, I want to start a conversation. Uh, the evangelical church tradition. Now, this is the one that we're probably a part of here. Um, I'd say we're, we're fairly much it. Okay, so let's keep going. Finally, as we come to our own arm of the Protestant church, first championed by a man named John Wesley in the 1740s, uh, this promoted a new individuality to our faith, an individual responsibility to share that faith. The euangelion. The euangelion. In Greek, the evangelistic or the evangelical. Uh, the word from the Greek euangelion is actually the word good news or gospel okay that is what the word originally came from its first usage was actually in reference to caesar was actually in reference to caesar and it was in the sense that hey i've got good news for you caesar will now be in charge the conquered nation okay for evangelicals the the essence of the gospel uh, consists of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, solely through faith in Jesus' atonement. Evangelicals believe in the centrality or the conversion of the born-again experience in receiving salvation, in the authority of the Bible as God's revelation to humanity, and in spreading the Christian message. This is all what we're about as evangelicals, yeah? yeah. The, this way of thinking about church has actually found its way into all the other traditions and streams during the years. It's also seen in the Reformed and Pentecostal traditions. And in 2016, a study suggested that one in four Christians in the world today, even if they were in another tradition, would also classify as evangelical. The crux of the evangelical gospel for those that would preach it, in my mind, is the John 3.16 verse. For God so loved the world that whoever that let me say that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Okay, the way to introduce people to this gospel, if you're an evangelical, is to tell them the verse, follow it up with a prayer for, for forgiveness of sins, and then in our tradition we get them baptized. 
And that's the gospel, potentially. The gospel, we know the truth through the Bible and you can have it too. Now, if we go out and we present that to our Margaret River community, is that actually meeting the cultural need of the community? Evangelicals have a huge, um, a huge history of knowledge and um, great theological capacity. And there are people that are much smarter than me that have gone out through the years and done all of these theological studies and worked out the different ways that we believe. Same in the Reformed Church, same in the Pentecostal Church. Huge amounts of work to be able to work out what our faith is in their infinite steps. And these days, as we go out into our non-Christian environment, who have no idea about anything from post-millennialism, amillennialism, pan-millennialism, any of those things... As we interact with them at that intellectual level, I don't believe it's actually going to make a difference. It's not going to hit home where it needs to. Jesus, when he said, the kingdom of heaven is near to you, he shortened it all down. He said, this is the gospel that you need to hear because it's active and going to be alive for you because you're in trouble and you need to hear this particular part. Think space. Time to pause. Because we've all come from one or another of these spaces, maybe a blend of two or more, and depending on which one we've come from will depend uh, and will determine what we hold on to as more valuable or less valuable in our church that we attend here. Also notice that each of these traditions, while starting out on a great idea, and they emphasize what they believe the gospel to be for the people around them, it's also worth noting that they're responsible in part to a deficiency or a distraction that's arisen inside their church and in their church culture that's actually hindered their efforts to share the gospel to those around them in their communities. Let me say that again, that each of these traditions, starting and emphasizing what they believe the gospel to be for the people around them, are also responding in part to a deficiency or a distraction that they have seen in the established church culture that's actually hindering their efforts to share the gospel. And so with that said, I'd love to see a show of hands from those who have interacted with each of these. Basically, everyone's going to have some point of putting their hand up. There is no right or wrong... Man, I'm just, I want to get this out. I'm just, there is no right or wrong answer here. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Paul warned the church not to think of itself so highly as there's been other occasions where the church has made the wrong call in the past. Feel free to look that one up uh, as you go out today. It's also a good reminder that each of these traditions and its outworking of the Gospels have seen hundreds of millions of people come to know about Jesus and the saving power that he has commanded. And so I want us to be looking around as we do this. As we share our background, it will also reveal who we are as God's people here in Margaret River, at Margaret River Baptist Church, where we come from, how we interact moving forward, knowing each other's tradition's strength, knowing each other's tradition's weaknesses, knowing each other's uh, traditions and what they would have potentially seen as a distraction to the outworking of their idea of gospel. Okay, can we do that now? Um, let's say hands at half height, if you would consider uh, a tradition a wing or something that you would be sy sympathetic to. If you think, no, no, I'm well-steeped evangelical, this is me. I want you to just stick your hand, you know, way in the air. And this is the reason why I've actually arranged the chairs 
uh, in the circle today because it's a community thing. We want to be united in knowing where we stand and then being able to move forward from there. And this is actually potentially very dangerous for us as a church. It's very brave, isn't it? And so I want us to actually acknowledge these parts that we come from because we're not going to be able to move forward as a church unless we acknowledge where we've come from. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Is that okay? Okay, good. So now, for those that are in the Reformed Church tradition, I'm sorry if I massacred that. Let's, uh, let's keep going, okay? If you've been in the Reformed Church tradition or you've, you've been a part of it in the past or you've, been, um, you've uh, seen it at work somehow and it's, it's fed into your own uh, life, uh, half or fully, yeah, half or fully. Yeah? Cool, have a look around, okay? What about the high church tradition? If you have interacted Anglican or Catholic or Orthodoxy in the past, high or low, yeah, look around. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what about Pentecostal? Have you come from a Pentecostal or a Providence tradition church? Yeah, no, yeah, good. Uh, what about a social justice tradition? Has anybody been interacting with a social justice tradition? Social justice tradition, a little bit. Yep. Yeah. What about evangelical? I have a feeling that most of us are going to stick our hand up because this is, this is the evangelical church uh, in Margaret River. Okay, who wants to know where I'm from? Yeah, okay. My, uh, for me, um, my sister would identify strongly with the Reformed tradition. I've had lots of conversations with her about that. Uh, I have an auntie who held a high church tradition. My initial biblical training was held in a Pentecostal tradition, which had a, a huge social justice element to it. And my main theological training in the bulk of my experience in ministry has actually come of the evangelical tradition. And so I hope this has been helpful as it highlights the breadth and diversity uh, that we're dealing with here in our church in Margaret River. Just yesterday, I was sent an article by a member who has once again noticed rifts forming in the broader evangelical church due to the effects of COVID, political tensions, socioeconomic changes. The things that once used to bind the evangelical church together are now no longer doing the job. It used to be, oh, Jesus is binding us together. And by the way, we're all white middle class uh, men and women. And actually, no, these days the political rifts and the socioeconomic rifts and all of that are actually causing us to be more and more separated. And it's harder for us to actually go, you know, we're focusing on Jesus and that's what's holding us together. But actually the rifts are there and we need to acknowledge them. And we need to acknowledge that as a church, we're actually a lot of different traditions come together. What we need to agree on is what is our gospel? What are we going to present united to our community as we go out this week, as we go out for the rest of the year, as we work together. Okay. Um, now, my history as an evangelical, I can't get away from looking at the initial question. What was Jesus' gospel? He's, he shortened it all the way down to... But actually, let's, let's broaden it back out again now that I've got your attention and you're all screaming at me going, Dama, you're wrong. Okay. But let's have a look at, um, at what it was that uh, Jesus actually preached. Um, what did he use? And so to answer that, I've actually put together a quick three-minute video that outlines one commentator's point of view. There's a lot in this video, so I'll make sure to put it up online for you to look at during the week. Um, as we keep looking forward, I want to I wanna see these cultural touchstones uh, that Jesus brings out. I want to preach through them uh, during Craig's long service leave, uh, with your permission, of course. 
Uh, so um, with that said, can I direct your attention to the screen? Can we throw up that video? It's just inside. Um, uh, you should be able to click on the next. Um, Where to from here? There it is. And why look at this church tradition stuff? What would Jesus say is the right way to do church? What is the gospel according to Jesus? If we were to line Jesus' gospel up with our church vision of know God, share Christ, and care for people, how would we fare? Are we shooting for something that's in alignment with what Christ would preach? Is our gospel here at Margaret River Baptist Church aligned with Jesus' gospel? Mike Frost, a missiologist, one of the leading voices in the Australian missional church movement, has suggested that the gospel that Jesus would have read would have been the book of Isaiah. He has recently posted an article on his blog, What Would the Church Look Like If Jesus Planted One Himself Today? If Jesus were here again as a man, without his miraculous powers, what would his church look like, and what would his gospel message be? Mike Frost, along with Alan Hirsch, have been doing lots of work with the missional church movement and are very helpful to look at as we consider the current Australian climate, which is moving away from a church and ministry mindset to a now more church missionally minded idea. So for the second half of today's message, I'd love to unpack this idea of Jesus' ideal gospel message. Jesus' gospel outworked as he saw it in the book of Isaiah, and then line those ideas up as seen in each of the previous traditions that have gone before us. Hopefully at the end I'll be able to tie it all together for how that looks in today's Australian post-Christendom context. So thanks to these missiologists, they've put me onto a commentary of Isaiah, written by the theologians Stassen and Gushi. They write that Jesus would be aligning his church to the following ideals. The ideals of peace, joy, justice, healing, God's presence, the restoration of community, and deliverance and salvation. If Jesus were running a church, these would be the hallmarks of his ministry. These would be his gospel. I'd love to go deeper into each of these, and potentially might as we move over the next three months. But for now, I think I just want to paint the broad brushstrokes of what Jesus meant when he said, The kingdom of heaven is near, in Matthew 3. So from the book of Isaiah, we have the seven marks of God's reign, the seven gospel points Jesus would have looked to. The gospel outworked through peace, joy, justice, healing, God's presence, the restoration of community, and deliverance and salvation. If Jesus were running a church, these would be the hallmarks of his ministry. These would be his gospel. So how do they line up with our church's expression of our faith? How do they line up with what we would call the gospel? Do you see elements of these being expressed in your church? Do you see how they were expressed in previous traditions, in the best way that those traditions could express the gospel at that time? If we were to overlay our current vision statement, know God, share Christ and care for people, how would these areas fit together? Is it worth us pursuing this vision for our church and our community? Absolutely. If we were to line Jesus' gospel up with our church vision of know God, share Christ, care for people, how would we fare? Are we shooting towards something that's in alignment with what Christ would preach? Is our gospel here at Margaret River Baptist Church aligned with Jesus' gospel? I hope you would say amen to that. Um, so thank you to those that created um, our vision statement from 10 years ago. Um, and as we move forward, I want to be actually looking at 
what Isaiah, uh, the marks of the seven, uh, the seven marks of God's reign in Isaiah, what they meant for Jesus as a gospel and as he interacted with his community. This is the fullness of the gospel for Jesus. This is before any of the New Testament was written. This is what Jesus would have preached out of. And so I hope as we move forward over the next three months that I'll be able to build into that a little bit more and I'll hopefully build into and, and find out where it uh, feeds into our uh, Know God, Share Christ, Care for People uh, vision statement. And so <clears throat> in the book of Isaiah, we've got these seven marks of God's reign. You can fill out all the rest of the bits and pieces on that uh, sheet that I've given you. Uh, from the book of Isaiah, we have the seven marks of God's reign, the seven gospel points that Jesus would have championed. The gospel are outworked through peace, joy, justice, healing, God's presence, the restoration of community, deliverance, and salvation. If Jesus were running a church, these would be the hallmarks of his ministry. These would be his gospel. And for his culture at the time, it was summed up into that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so to how do they line up with our church's expression of our faith? How do they line up with what we would call the gospel? And how do they line up with our church culture? Can you see how these seven things were outworked and expressed in other cultural settings? Can you see how these things were outworked and expressed in the other traditions that we've come from? Can you see how they were outworked in the Reformed or in the Pentecostal? Sometimes they hit the mark. Sometimes the other traditions fell flat. They didn't pick up all these elements. As we overlay our vision statement, know God, share Christ, care for people, can we see how the direction that was set for us 10 years ago is in fact really good and it's going to help, us, help to keep us on track to meet the cultural needs of our surroundings. And this will help us to be soft to the spirit as we're directed to what our 12-word gospel message will be that is specifically suited to Margaret River. And as we look at these, the crux of it is that they all need to have equal expression. And the problems only come when you have something that takes on greater expression and the others lesser. But with Christ at our head, I believe that we can actually have all of them. Can I get an amen? It's good. So in conclusion, as a church, as we head out into our world this week, as we keep vision casting moving forward, we want to remember these things, okay? That as a church, the ecclesia, and as a visuals, we are a, a positively called out and called on to people of God. Uh, the second thing I want us to take away is that our fourfold purpose is proclamation, fellowship, worship, and service. And this ties neatly into our threefold vision statement of know God, share Christ, and care for people. And thirdly, that each of these traditions or cultures that we come from, while starting and emphasizing what they believe the gospel to be for the people around them, are also responding in part to a deficiency or a distraction that they see in the established church that is hindering their efforts to share the gospel. Okay, so us as we move forward, are we going to be brave enough to respond to a deficiency or a distraction that we see happening in our congregation, in our culture, inside, to be able to then present a gospel that's going to be effective for our Margaret River community? As we finish up today, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would consider a distraction, what you would consider a necessary inclusion into the good news for Margaret River. Uh, so it was so good to talk to a few members in preparation uh, to hear their thoughts on this matter. Um, and as I talked to the members, I wanted to find out what they thought, the, the culture outside, what did they need to hear? And uh, for one, they said, oh, 
there's just no hope. There's no hope out there. And so what does our gospel message have to be? Our gospel message, there is hope. There is hope. And for those that are in isolation out there, what should our gospel message be? Our gospel message should be, well, actually, there's community. And for those that are oppressed, I agree with the social justice culture, come and be liberated. Okay? So what gospel do your neighbours need to hear? What about yourself? What, are the, what is the 12-word good news for you today? Where is God saying you need to be free of this burden? Where is God saying the kingdom is drawn near to you in this part of your life that you're struggling with? Maybe God's saying actually you need to be challenged in an, from, from a negative perspective of what Ecclesia is into an up from and out of uh, Ecclesia towards God. When you consider the other churches in town and the other cultures that they've come from, uh, are you honouring to them with your thoughts? How are we working alongside these other Christians to bring along the gospel to our town in Margaret River? I hope this has been a helpful we need to talk topic. I'm sorry if I've misrepresented and I've hurt some people with my words as I've um, tried to engage us in this space of uh, being effective in our response and our cultural uh, gospel uh, moving forward. Can we pray together? Lord God, thank you uh, that you have done the work in, your, in and by your spirit, Lord, the mission of God, the sharing uh, of Jesus with us and sending of Jesus to us, and Lord, that you send us as people out. Lord, thank you that you haven't called each one of us uh, to go and evangelize every single person. Lord, thank you that you have Kairos moments appointed for each one of us as we share Christ. Lord, thank you that we don't have to bear the burden that, oh, I haven't shared the gospel in the, in the five steps to freedom. I haven't shared the gospel in the, uh, in the tracked way. I haven't given somebody... No, Lord, thank you that we can simply share a gospel that is aligned with our culture in a way that you would have us share it. And by your spirit, I pray that you would enable us to do that. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to, um, to be able to talk and converse in our community about what our gospel will be united as we talk uh, as a church together about this. Lord God, thank you that you are at work in our community already. And Lord, I... Uh, I'm just so grateful for this church and how, uh, how it operates according to your, uh, your precepts and your law. Lord, I thank you for our vision statement to know God, share Christ and care for people, that it helps outwork this idea of uh, proclamation, fellowship, service and worship. Lord, thank you that we've been able to worship you this morning. Lord, to finish up, I just want to pray uh, out of Isaiah 58. Lord, uh, verse 11, where it says, The Lord will guide you always. Lord, I pray that you would guide us always. Lord, you say that you will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. So, Lord, I pray that for Australia, for Margaret River. Lord, I, uh, I pray for us when it says that he will strengthen your frame. Lord, strengthen us as a church, combine us, unite us. Lord, uh, when you say that you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, Lord, I pray that you would make us that.
like a well-watered garden, somewhere where we can share the gospel and the good news freely. Uh, It just comes out of us uh, by who we are and by our proximity and closeness to you. We pray for all of these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.